Turn with me please in our Bible reading to Jeremiah chapter 29 and we're going to look tonight at verse 11. This was the missing piece if you remember just a few weeks ago in the jigsaw. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. <clears throat> the words of the Lord. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. With the word of God open before us, let's unite our hearts in prayer again and let's seek the face of God. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank thee tonight for the pleading voice of the Spirit of God. We thank thee for the secret, mysterious work of God the Holy Ghost in effectual calling. We thank that the wind bloweth where it listeth, and we cannot see the power thereof, but we do see the fruit of it. And we thank thee for the fruit of it in so many lives in this gathering tonight. But oh, I pray that thou, the Spirit of God, will breathe upon hearts and lives in the gathering tonight. Those that need just a word of encouragement, give them that word. Those that need even tonight a word of exhortation to come to the Saviour. We, we pray that that word will be written upon their hearts. Hear us we beseech thee. Grant us the infilling of God the Holy Ghost. And the blessing of knowing that we're in the place where God speaks to us. Through his word and by his spirit. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. As we read through the book of Jeremiah, we discover that he had a very long ministry. Sometimes <clears throat> we imagine ministries, if they're short and sweet, uh, are better than those that are long and drawn out. But uh, some of the greatest ministries in church history or in Bible uh, chronology have been the longest ministries. So Jeremiah ministered in the land for some 47 years. 47 years. It spanned all the latter years of the kings of Judah. And indeed it spanned the first part of the Jewish captivity in Babylon itself. And he preached. He preached from his very soul to the soul of the nation. Of the pending judgment of God upon its sin. And not only did he preach about the judgment. But he lived to see the judgment of God fall upon the nation. It's worthwhile as we read through the book of Jeremiah just to remind ourselves that it doesn't always come in sequence. The book of Jeremiah does not come in chronological order. And so it's hard at times to keep in mind all these different kings with some unpronounceable names that reigned during his latter ministry. John Calvin, who knew a bit about political upheaval in his own day, he wrote in his institutes, that they who rule unjustly and incompetently, now listen, have been raised up by him to punish the wickedness of the people. God judged Judah. And God judged her sin by raising up wicked rulers who sat on Judah's throne, King David's throne. The list, of course, started out well with King Josiah. And his reforms, but it spiraled downwards after his death in the battle against the king of Egypt. He shouldn't have been in that battle, but he went and he, he, he got involved with battles that were, were, did not belong to him. Let me tell you, brethren and sisters, don't get involved in battles that don't belong to you. You'll get into trouble. 
Then we have all of the list of these other kings. Uh, and they all reigned during those turbulent last years of the existence of the kingdom of Judah itself. Some of them were very short. All of them were very wicked. There was nothing left for the land at the end of their reign but judgment. And God brought the hordes of Babylon and, and uh, the armies of King Nebuchadnezzar to little Judah. And the nation was carried into captivity. All because they wouldn't listen to the ministry of God's prophet Jeremiah who was there for 47 years. 47 years God put him there. And they didn't listen to him. Jeremiah not only had to battle against the wickedness of the kings of Judah. But the false prophets that, that, they, that they backed up the wicked kings of Judah. And this is the section that we've been reading from chapter 26 to chapter 29. And Jeremiah had to address these false prophets. And when he spoke of the pending judgment of God upon the temple in Jerusalem, upon uh, the, the nation of Judah itself, well, these men, they spoke against him. When Jeremiah said, there's going to be judgment. They said not at all. There's going to be blessing. And there was no room for public dissent. If you disagreed with the false prophets. If you disagreed uh, with the government narrative. You were silenced. And that's what happened to old Jeremiah himself. He was silenced and he was put in the dungeon and in the prison house. And is it not common practice across the world today? If you disagree with ungodly governments, if you disagree with the apostate state religion that buttress and back up those false governments, well then you're going to be silenced. And certainly across our own little land at the present time, there's every effort being made at least to silence gospel truth and righteousness across our land. <clears throat> In chapter 27, when... Jeremiah prophesied of King Nebuchadnezzar being raised up of God to take over the land. The false prophets, they didn't sit back and say nothing. They opposed him vigorously. Chapter 27, verse 12 to 14. His pleas fell in deaf ear. We always imagine that our day is the hardest day. But here was Jeremiah who had a heart for the people whose tears ran like rivers because of the hurt of his people. And did they listen to him? No, they didn't. They did not listen to his preaching or to his pleas. In chapter 28 we read of one of the chief spokesmen of the false prophets, Hananiah, and brazenly in chapter 28, if you go there just for a little second, chapter 28, verse 2 to 4, what did he say? Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years I will bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house. What did, what did Jeremiah answer Hananiah? Go down to verse 15 to 17. <clears throat> then said Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee. But thou makest this people to trust in a lie. You know the thing that always amazes me is that people do trust the lie before they'll believe the truth. People trust the lie before they'll believe the truth. 
And we see it right across the length and breadth of our land today. People believe the lie before they'll trust the truth. As Cowper put in his hymn, they would rather starve than come to the truth. That tells us something about the depravity of the fallen heart of sinful men and women. And that's Northern Ireland in 2023. That's not Judah thousands of years ago. That's our own land today. The false prophets who had opposed him in Judah prior to the first captives being carried away into captivity. They continued to oppose Jeremiah. And they continued to peddle the lie that the captivity in Babylon was only for a short period of time. And they were only there for a little period of time and they would be brought back again. Hananiah spoke of two full years. How many years did God speak of? Seventy. There's quite a difference. We always want the quick fix solution. And that's still the problem today in the church and in society uh, at large. We want the quick fix solution. We want it all over and done with. And we are so used today with pressing a few buttons and getting an answer up on the screen. We think it's always going to be like that. But brethren and sisters, it's not like that at all. And so Jeremiah wrote to these uh, captives. And chapter 29 contains his letters to those that were in captivity. And he accordingly instructed them. Verse 4 to 7. Very interesting stuff. Really, even for ourselves here in Northern Ireland, very interesting stuff. We, we, we like to think we'll never be taken into captivity. If we're not already there, we'll do well to take heed to what these verses say. God said, I have caused, I have caused you to be carried away from Jerusalem onto Babylon. God did it. God did it. Why? As judgment on their sin. But in the judgment there was still mercy. Because in that far off land, what did he tell them? He said, well, build, build houses and, and dwell in them. And plant your gardens. And involve, your, involve yourself in horticulture and agriculture. And eat the fruit of what you plant. And take wives. And have sons and daughters. Get on with life. That you may be increased and not diminished. I think that's a word for us all, isn't it? A word for us all. Jeremiah knew from God that the captivity was going to last 70 years. Not two years as Hananiah said. 70 years. And so he said, you better get on with life. And the only way you're not going to be destroyed is build your houses. Look after the food supply. <coughs> marry, have children. Strengthen and increase and don't diminish. This was going to be the remnant that would return and build the second temple some 70 years later in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. There's so many parallels here. After 70 years, Jeremiah assured them, you're coming back. I, I love this thought that God brings back his captives. 
As God had caused them to be carried away into captivity, so he would cause them at the end of those 70 years to return. In verse 11, we read these wonderful words or texts for this evening. The Lord assured his people, I haven't forgotten about you. In captivity, I have not forgotten about you. He said to the people, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. I know the thoughts that I think. What a comfort it must have been to those remnant Jews that had been torn away from their homeland. They had saw their loved ones killed in Judah and in Jerusalem. They had been forcibly moved to Babylon. And now this letter came from God's prophet to them in Babylon. And he told them how to survive and how to prosper and how to do well within the land of Babylon itself. And now he reassures them from Jehovah God. He said, God says, I'm still thinking about you. Maybe you think you're in captivity tonight. Maybe your circumstances are difficult and the place where you're in is constrained and tight. And you imagine that there's no way out of those circumstances. But God is thinking of you. You and I have thousands of wasted thoughts every day. Think of all the thoughts that pass through your mind and my mind. Uh, they're really just worthless thoughts. But God never has a wasted thought. God never has a thoughtless thought. And as I read that verse a few weeks ago, I started to ask myself the question, well, what does God think about his people? It's as if our text assures us that God has a covenant people there in captivity in Babylon. Here we are in this world. We're battling our way through it. And God sends this letter to us tonight as the letter came by Jeremiah from the Lord to the ones in Babylon just the same way. And God says to your heart tonight, I'm thinking of you. I'm thinking about you. That's an amazing thing. When people say to me, I'm thinking about you, that's something special. But then we'll move on because we don't know what they're thinking. Sometimes people said, I'm thinking about you, but they don't really tell you what they're thinking, do they? But we can know that the thoughts of God are something different. I want to take this little text tonight, Jeremiah 29 and 11. I want to consider with you, well, what does God think about his people? I hope it will be a comfort to all who know the Lord. And I pray it will be a challenge to those that don't know him and never think about him. I want to suggest to you firstly that God is ever presently thinking about his people. I think this is really one of the most remarkable statements of grace that we read about in all of the scriptures of truth itself. The Lord never stops thinking about his people. We read in Psalm 115 and verse 12, The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. We can go further than that. The Lord hath not just been mindful of us in the past tense, but the Lord is ever mindful of us in the present tense. This word thought 
is variously translated. <coughs> you can look it up. It can mean purposes. It can mean plans. So we can read the verse quite rightly. For I know the plans that I, I plan toward you. I know the purposes that I have purposes, purposed toward you. And if you want to trace what was God's thoughts, what was God's plans, what were God's purposes through the message of Jeremiah, then you'll get some idea of what God was thinking about Judah and how God still thinks about his people up to this present point in time. God's purpose in Jeremiah's ministry <coughs> was to call Judah to repentance. It ever is the case. God calls us to follow him and in order to follow him we have to leave sin. We have to repent of sin and turn from our sin. The, the book of the prophecy of Jeremiah opens up with those uh, clarion words in chapter 3. Chapter 3 verse 12 we read uh, that God said <clears throat> go and proclaim these words toward the north and say return thou backsliding Israel saith the Lord. I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. Here's the way of restoration. It's the way of repentance. We looked at repentance just a few weeks ago. <clears throat> what is repentance? It is, it is God twisting us from our present position, taking us literally from our present position and turning us right round 180 degrees. That's repentance. Go and proclaim these words, return. Thou backsliding Israel. Israel was a place of idolatry, the place of the temple, the place of the prophets, the place of the worship of, of Jehovah <clears throat> and uh, under every grove there was a, a place for idols. There had to be recognition that they'd done wrong. Verse 13, acknowledge thine iniquity. That's what God wants you to do. Not only to repent, but to acknowledge, I have sinned, I have failed, I have fallen. There has to be a recognition. Not only what I have done, but I know I have done it and I recognize I have done the wrong. And then there is the restoration. Return no backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. Isn't that wonderful? What a marriage this really was. God married to the backslider. Chapter 29, verse 4 to 7. <coughs> God not only shows his mercy to a backslidden people, but God reveals how that backslidden people could survive in their captivity. They would have to submit rather than further rebel. They would have to build in Babylon. They would have to plant their gardens. They would have to marry. They would have to have children. They would have to uh, do all of those things in order to increase and to survive. And that was the only way they were going to survive. And 70 years later be brought back again to rebuild the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed. God's purpose was to call them. To wait on him. Look at verse 12 to verse 14. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. <clears throat> what an encouragement that is. I don't know where your situation has brought you to tonight, but it's not anywhere where the, the captives were in Babylon. 
But wherever God has brought you to, God has brought you to the place. But God wants you to seek him wherever you are. To cry unto him. God's purpose was to encourage them that their captivity was limited. Verse 10. Thus saith the Lord, After seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. <clears throat> the letter was sent from Jerusalem to Babylon and uh, Jeremiah said to the captives in Babylon, I want you to uh, put your life right with God. I want you to live your life right in the land before God and before the people. <clears throat> and I want you to increase and I want you to prosper. God had a purpose in it all. You know, all of Judah could have been destroyed when Nebuchadnezzar and his hordes came into the land. As was often the case in those far off days, but God was thinking on his people. A remnant was going to be saved and a remnant was going to be spared. But for the remnant to be saved and spared, they had to be taken into Babylon. We don't know the secret purposes of God, but God has a purpose in whatever trial you're going through at the present time. There's never, as well, I'm going to repeat it again, there's never a thoughtless action on the part of Jehovah. Whatever your trial is, God has caused it. And like Judah of old, 70 years might seem a long time. Some of us will never see the end of the 70 years. In fact, I'll go further. The majority of us will never see the end of the 70 years of the Lord tarries. But there's always a limitation upon it. I love those words of Psalm 30 and verse 5. It reminds us, weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Joy cometh in the morning. I was looking at that lovely hymn, hymn number 436. If you come along on Wednesday evening, we'll practice it and sing it together. Amid the trials which I meet, amid the thorns that pierce my feet, one thought remains supremely sweet. Thou thinkest, Lord, of me. The Lord is ever presently thinking on his people. Wherever you are tonight, you have his thoughts. Secondly, God's thoughts are those of peace. Now, I think there is a material sense in which these words are given to us because if you go back to verse 7 again, it says, And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. Here were political fugitives who have been ripped out of their homeland, who have been taken to a foreign land. And Jeremiah, he didn't write to them and say, well, you cause an uprising there in Babylon and start a terrorist warfare and fight the Babylonians. No, the very opposite. He said, you pray for the peace of that city because in the peace of it, you will have peace and you will have prosperity. God's thoughts were for the temporal prosperity of the Jews. The, the captivity was for their good. If they had been left in Jerusalem, they would have starved, they would have died with the little remnant that was there. Uh, and if you read the subsequent chapters here in the book of Jeremiah, you'll find the civil war that broke out amongst that little remnant there and the, the genocide that was perpetrated upon them. God's thoughts was to bring about their expected end. 
and to return them to Judah and return them back to Jerusalem and to rebuild that temple. Seventy years seems a long time, but if, the day, if one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, it was just as nothing. God was telling them through the mouth of the prophet, you have a future. It mightn't be the way that you think, but you have a future and it's a bright future. They were under the chastening of the Lord and when we're under the chastening of the Lord, it's really hard to see where the future is and how bright the future is. And the devil loves to hide the sunshine from us. But this is sunshine in a dark day. I want just to encourage all of you tonight that God hasn't finished with us and God hasn't finished with his church in this land. There are those and they would say God is finished with the church. God is finished with the Free Presbyterian Church. I don't believe that for a moment. I believe it's a lie of the devil. It's a lie from Hananiah and the false prophets. It's not from the Lord because we're part of Christ's church and the future is bright for the bride of Christ because he's coming back for the bride to take her home to glory. John Gill, that wonderful commentator, sees in these thoughts of peace a reference to the coming of the Messiah because, of course, he is designated as the peace. All of God's peace was going to come through the Messiah, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the ending. All things were, were, were in him. And the peace spoken of, of course, is not only speaks to us of the Messiah and the work of the Messiah, it tells us about the salvation of Christ. This was the end of all God's gracious purposes. I know the thoughts that I have toward you. What were God's thoughts toward his people? Away back, we read in First Peter this morning, away back before the hills in order stood, or earth received her freedom. God had a plan. And it was a great plan of God's redemption and God's redemptive purposes through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What was God's plan? It was that a people would be saved through the death of his own dear son and through the preaching of that glorious evangel across the world and through hearts been touched by the spirit of God and been brought to faith in Christ uh, through the, the preaching of God's word and the believing of that glorious message. Prior to the cross, this is what Jesus said to his disciples in John sixteen thirty three, in these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In me you'll have peace. You're looking for peace in the world. You'll not find it. Jesus said it's only in me. Peace, peace in this dark world of sin. It's only in Christ. After the cross, <clears throat> he appeared to his disciples. He'd finished the work. Redemption had been completed. And we read in John 20 verse 19 that he came. Remember that first resurrection uh, Sabbath day. He came and he stood in the midst of his disciples. And he said unto them, peace be unto you. <clears throat> and the Lord wants to speak to your soul tonight. And he wants to tell you about his peace. You have peace with God through his son. And I want to say to the unsaved in the midst, that's the only way you're ever going to have peace with God, through faith in his Son. There's no other way. You can strive for it, whatever other way you want, but there's no other way to have peace with God other than through having peace with God's own dear Son. 
And so the question that's all important this evening is, do you know that peace within your own heart and within your own life? I love that incident in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 48 to 50. Let me read it to you. Then he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. What a wonderful, wonderful thing when Jesus says to the sinner, your sins are forgiven you. And then he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. To those whose sins are forgiven, they can go in peace. You can go out into this week that lies ahead with the peace of God abiding in your soul if you have known your sins forgiven. Oh, what a blessing. What a blessing on the Sabbath day to know that Jesus comes to visit us. He says, I, I, I have come that you might have peace. And I've come that you might know it in your heart. And I've come that you might face eternity with that peace of God abiding in your heart and life. There are many people and you go into the graveyard and you'll see the inscription on the headstone, At Peace. Oh, what a lie if they died without Christ. There's no peace this side of the grave. There's no peace that side of the grave for those whose sins are not forgiven. And I urge you tonight to seek the Lord while he is to be found and call upon him while he is near and seek that forgiveness for your sins. That's the only way you're going to have this wonderful peace of which we're, we're thinking about. <clears throat> There's another thought here. Thirdly, what is the proper response to God's thoughts? <clears throat> yes, it's nice when people say I'm thinking about you. But I don't really have to do anything, do I? But when God says I'm thinking about you, I have to respond. That calls for submission to God's plans and purposes. The false prophets, they didn't want the people to believe that they'd be there for 70 years. That was politically incorrect to say. It wasn't the, the woke thing to say. It wasn't the dumb thing to say. But old Jeremiah, he didn't care, did he? He had a message from God. You're going to be there 70 years. We just have to submit. If God's going to put us there for 70 years, that's where we have to be. That's all he's ever asked the believer to do, just to yield. Isaiah put it like this, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts, they're not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. <clears throat> We're always confronted, aren't we? With this great quandary, as God's ways are higher than our ways. John Calvin closed his comments on, on this passage with the following prayer. Oh, grant that we may not go astray following our vagrant and erring thoughts, but acquiesce in thy simple truth. Judas should have acquiesced to the simple truth. Judas should have repented. Judas should have turned to the Lord. Judah, Judah should have obeyed God even in captivity and then she would have prospered. And then should have been brought back. And can anything less be said of you or I tonight? 
What's the only way to prosper? Trust and obey. No other way but to trust and obey. I was reading this morning about young Samuel. And it struck me yet again. That three times over God came and called him. But he never heard anything from God until he submitted to what God had to say to him. And Samuel said, speak Lord for thy servant hearth. Well, God's speaking. And God's speaking in the service through his word. And I pray that you'll have the servant's heart that you'll want to hear. There's expectation here. The prophet spoke of an expected end. God promised that their exile was only for a limited time. One day it would come to an end. One day they would return. And we, we likewise should do the work of God with expectation that the captives are going to be brought back. There have been many of our loved ones, many of our children, many of the young people that have been, as it were, taken captive by the devil at his will. But we believe there's a day coming in which God is going to break their captivity and God is going to bring them back. We read in Jeremiah 31, 16, 17. For thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. And they shall come again from the land of the enemy. Not wonderful. These captives, they're going to come again from the land of the enemy. They're going to be brought back. Uh, And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. Yes, I know this was Judah coming back to uh, their own land from Babylon. But, but I see here also a parallel that those whom the enemy have stolen and taken captive, <coughs> God has promised that he'll bring them back. The redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. If we're to respond as we ought to respond, let's not give up in the place of prayer. Verse 12 to 14. <coughs> Sovereignty and our responsibility, they go hand in hand. Dr. Paisley years ago used to describe it as the two parallel tracks on on the railway line, didn't they? And give us this wonderful vision how the train goes along that track and we can only see the parallel track, but away up in the horizon the two seem to merge. Matthew Henry summarizes all this very beautifully. He said, when God is about to give his people the expected good, he pours out a spirit of prayer. And it's a good sign that he's coming toward them in mercy. Thus, when you see the expected end approaching, uh, then you shall call upon me. Remember Daniel? Daniel understood Oh, many years later that the 70 years were coming to an end. We read in Daniel 9, 2 and 3. And when he understood the 70 years were coming to an end, he didn't sit back and say, that's me done now. I have nothing else to do. It tells us that he set his face with more fervency than ever to seek the Lord. Dear brethren and sisters, we need to seek the Lord with greater fervency than ever before. Than ever before. We, We need you to be in the prayer meeting prior to the service you're a Christian, you need to be there. 
lifting your voice up unto the Lord. If you're fit and well and able to, to be there, be there. If you're fit and well, be there on the Wednesday evening. It's good practice. <clears throat> I know uh, to share that responsibility in a home where there are young children. But when children come up to an age, you can bring them out from time to time to the prayer meeting as well. Oh, may the Lord set us to pray and to seek his face. How do we know it's going to be his time? We're as close to revival as we are to it in the place of prayer. May the Lord touch our hearts and touch our lives. May every part of our own lives know divine visitation from, from the Almighty. Here was a letter sent to captives. Political refugees taken away from their own land by a foreign enemy. But God had a word from them. God had a word for them. And Jeremiah wrote this letter and it was sent to them and he assured them from the Lord, I'm thinking about you. And that's just the letter that he sends to Anna Long tonight here in the Money Dar Road. This little group of people. <coughs> And he says, I'm thinking about you. I have a plan. And I have a purpose for the work on the Money Dyer Road and for the families of the covenant people of God on the Money Dyer Road. And there's a day coming in which those captives in the form going to be brought back.